that this podcast is recorded over Zoom. All efforts are made to get the best audio quality possible, but we are victims to the connection. My last um, sort of real memory of, of Israel was I was driving a motorhome with a, uh, a honey wagon behind it to the port as we were trying to get out. And we were very worried about actually running out of time before we had to leave the country. Hello and welcome to Red Carpet Rookies. My name is Mike Battle, a film production junior working for studios in London. Each episode, I bring you advice and stories from film, TV and content professionals to help demystify and democratise the industries for juniors and fans alike. Thanks for joining me. Let's get started. Today's guest is location manager Simon Crook. First working in the transport and unit departments, Simon has since travelled through the industry to become one of the most in-demand location managers for international filming with credits including Mad Max Fury Road, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, Children of Men and many more. He joins me today from his location offices on Jurassic World 3. Simon, welcome to the show. How are you? Well, very well, Mike. Yourself? I'm very good, thank you. It's nice to see you again. Now, before we get going, for any juniors listening who might not know the intimate details of location managers in the film industry, would you be able to explain how you see it in your own words? Because it's not just going around the world looking at amazing places, is it? No, not at all. There's, um, there's a big part of it. We're one of the only departments, I think it's only production and probably catering, that actually deal with every single department on a film. You know, from, we start you know, very early in the morning till very late at night. You know, our, our day is not only just a beautiful location and having fun on location and filming, there's all those other bits. I think uh, one of your previous guests, Sonia, said about it's all um, parking pavements and toilets, doesn't it? That's all <laughs> we do, really. Bless her. Yeah, we have, a, we have a bit more to do with that. You know, dealing with Lord and Lady whoever, um, or the Ministry of Defence, or it could be, People just people on the street that you, you've upset that day because you're filming on their streets. I mean, there's always a, a good thing. Everyone watches television or films, so you know it's their turn on that day. You know, try and try and be friends with everybody if you can. Absolutely. And I thought we'd start by asking where you grew up and how you ended up in the industry. Because did you have any careers beforehand, or was it always the film industry in mind? Often people fall into it. Yeah, it's a funny thing because um, I was thinking about this this morning when you first contacted me a few days ago about doing this interview. I remember when I lived in Sunbury on Thames, in fact, when I lived there, it was just called Sunbury, which was just around the corner from Shepperton Studios. And I remember going past Shepperton a few times um, on a bus, uh, looking in there and they were doing some filming and stuff like that. And then um, just at the back of where we used to live was um, Hampton Court Waterworks. And I remember seeing one night loads of... Uh, really big bright lights above the waterworks and I didn't know what was going on so we sneaked through the cornfield at the back of the waterworks few of my friends and there they were filming and it was a big I suppose you probably wouldn't see it now but a big swastika flag over the front of um, the waterworks and it was obviously I don't know what I don't know what film it was it might be like where eagles dare or something like that so a long long time ago and um and I just I was amazed by just how many people there were and and, um, you know, just the whole look of what was going on. And, and I was amazed by the lights, really, just how bright the lights. And they were old brute lights, I think, you know, like that used to burn 
burn sort of welding rods inside them to make them bright. That's how long ago it was. So, yeah, and that sort of got me intrigued with it a little bit. For a very long time, I wanted to be a stuntman. So probably not many people know that. I don't know that, no. So then what was it that got you your first job in the transport department? From what I can see, that was where you first got going, right? Yeah, I worked um, for a little while. I worked at a garage um, just in Ashford. So just around the corner from Shepparton again. And every now and again, we would do some rush overnight work for um, painting action vehicles, which um, were being used on a set that may have got damaged or had to have a colour change. Um, and we would, And I would take them back to either Shepparton or sometimes on location. Uh, a long time ago, we had an old Rolls-Royce that got damaged on the set and we, we repaired it overnight. And it was for um, a murder she wrote with Angela Lansbury that was being shot in the UK. And I went out and I stayed with the car for the whole day because they asked me to stay with it and I got to drive it and, um, on set, which was quite fun, dressed as a chauffeur. And I got paid at the end of it. It's in the good old days when I used to pay cash. And uh, I thought, oh, this is interesting. And uh, I got more money for doing that than I did in a week's work of driving a recovery lorry. So um, I decided that maybe I'd have a look into it. So, and that was it. Were there any, given that the transport department could often be described as the eyes and ears of a film to some extent, were there any lessons that you learned from those days that you've carried with you through the years? Yeah, there is a bit. And I think that's why I do quite a bit with logistics on films and stuff like that. It's because... You know, you've always got to go and look at everything. You know, if you want to put a big unit in somewhere, you know, go and look at it. Check access. And I remember we was on uh, Rob Roy a few years ago, and we went up there with the big units um, with facilities. And you didn't have to only look at, you know, the width of the road and the condition of the road. You had to look up in the air as well because lots of low power cables and things like that. You would never even think of some of the locations we went to, you know, so... That, that can be a lesson learned if you pull a power table down. I'm sure. Following those first few jobs, you quickly got into unit managing, which can be one of the toughest jobs in the industry. I've heard of unit managers doing 24-hour shifts and the like. Would you be able to explain to the listeners what the unit manager does? And I feel like you must have at least one good unit manager moment to share. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a few moments. Um, yeah, well, unit managing is a, is, is a funny one. It's, a, it's not really understood by our American counterparts, really, because obviously you, you know, you'll often see on films with credits that um, a unit manager will be higher up than a supervising location manager in the credits. It's only because the Americans don't understand our term unit manager, you know, because obviously the nearest thing they have is a unit production manager. Um, so really our, our unit managing job is it's not a term I've ever liked to be honest, you're an assistant location manager, really. That's that's yeah. what you do. You're you're supporting the location manager. And a lot of the films I worked, I worked on very early on. You know, we we would have a location manager, possibly an assistant location manager, and then a so-called unit manager. So really, you were there supporting the location manager and and being on the set day to day. Now, what we have now is we have key set PAs. We have assistant unit managers. We have supervising unit managers, which is the latest title I've just heard recently. I don't think I've ever had that title either. And I've, I've probably had them all. Missing out. Yeah, I might, I might add that one somewhere. It's interesting you say about the difference between maybe the UK and the US American system, because obviously so much is getting made in the UK now. Do you find that there is 
sometimes a bit of a disconnect between that because obviously it's huge stuff happening on both sides of the Atlantic. But is there sometimes a little bit of miscommunication, maybe? Um, no, I don't think so. I think I think our biggest thing is I, even to even to the the local, you know, the the UK crew. It's really is what we actually do. I, sometimes I don't think the recognition is there completely. What what the location team do on a daily basis, mm. you know, because most of the crew just turn up on the day, shoot, and then go away. You know, they didn't realise there's been months and months of planning. I mean, I did a I did a, a job in South Korea um, in Seoul um, a few years ago where we closed the main city bridge um, for one day. Now that the, the permission started six months before that. For a one day shoot, you know, it's never been done before. Wow. Apart from when North Koreans. Um, what was the show, Simon? Uh, it was Avengers: Age of Ultron. Oh, of course. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I don't think people realise the actual what we do on a daily basis. You know, and setting up a for a, certainly on the bigger films is much, much harder to do because you are second guessing a lot of it when you're first going in for these meetings very early on, and you're saying what a great idea it is to shut the only bridge into the or the main bridge into the city. Um, yeah, thanks for doing it. No, it's, it's incredible. Uh, it's interesting, your progression, because given that the industry can be so randomized in its nature, the move from lower rungs to unit manager and then to location manager and often ultimately production manager is actually quite common. So why is it that you think that they run so smoothly into each other? I think the, the biggest thing is, I think, dealing with all the departments. I think that's, and, and as an understanding, because obviously, you can only learn on the floor, really, about the film industry. I, you know, I can tell, because I've been doing this some time, I can tell if a production person has come through the office into PMing, mm. into UPMing, than more if they've had a floor role. You know, it, there is a, a, a big difference. It's also about learning to talk to people, I think. You know, I, I'm dealing with the construction team every morning. Uh, about certain things up until the producers every day. So, you know, and I think sometimes people forget how to talk to, you know, the rest of the crew. It's almost like a politician, Simon. It is a bit like a politician, yeah. And it is, yeah, every day we're trying to keep someone happy. Just before we started the recording, you mentioned that you had a mentor in Angus Moore Gordon, who I believe is a producer. Do you think these sorts of relationships are vital when you're coming up? And I guess through the later years as well. Yeah, I, I do, and I think I think what happens now is I was with I was Angus's assistant for I think we worked it out actually the other day. I was looking at something the other day around seven years I think, and at the time there was only probably five big location managers that did big films, you know, and Angus was in that five. Um, and I think what happens, my biggest issue I have nowadays, and I think we've spoke about this before in the past, is I think people can move up too quickly. And I think that's why departments are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, location teams now are massive. You know, when I, when I first started, as I said earlier, we, we, we were like a three-man team. And occasionally on a, on a bigger film, it might be a five-man team. And we, we still did it. And filmmaking hasn't changed. There's a lot more paperwork now. And obviously hours are, are, are very important to us. Yeah. You know, we would I'd often go... Um, go out at six in the morning or four in the morning and not get home till four the following morning and then go out again at six. You know, so 
that side of things has changed for the better. But I do think, I, I think you have to learn your craft these days. And I, I, I still do feel that some of our true members, certainly within our department, move up too fast. Yes, that does seem to be quite a widely held viewpoint among the people that I've been interviewing. So thank you for the insight and we'll be back after the break. Your career took a turn when you were hired to work in Israel on the Tony Scott, Robert Redford and Brad Pitt blockbuster spy game. How did it feel to be on such a huge production then? And how did it compare to the smaller UK-based productions you'd been working on previously? Um, yeah, it was a bit of an eye-opener. It was my sort of first sort of big one away. Um, unfortunately, it was a bit short-lived um, because obviously we got moved out of Israel quite quickly um, due to the current trouble that's still going on there now. Really? Yeah. So I I only did a very short stint on it. It was about six to eight weeks. I mean, I think my last my last um, sort of real memory of, of Israel was I was driving a motorhome with a uh, a honey wagon behind it to the port as we were trying to get out and we were very worried about actually running out of time before we had to leave the country so that's amazing i went back to my old transport days and literally just jumped in a motor home and moved it to the port. Yeah. how do the locals feel when they have these hollywood films running around blowing up things and the like have you ever had any notable positive experience or indeed negative ones with the local communities or authorities? Yeah, I think with anything that we have to, when we go into somebody else's country, I think we have to respect everything, respect what we're doing. And, you know, and I, I still do it where even if it's here, I, you've always got to ask and not tell them that's what you're going to do. You know, it's always a bit nice to ask and, and obviously talk to the communities beforehand. You know, I, I did a, a, a job in India, unfortunately never filmed a, quite a long time ago, um, called Shantaram. We never made it in the end. It's quite a famous book. Um, uh, we were going to go and film on a, an actual slum. And, you know, we, we went in and we did a lot of work right at the beginning and made friends with everyone on the slum. Um, it, you know, we were going to employ lots of people. Um, and we didn't want to give anyone just individuals money. So we were going to, the fee would, would have been a new church and a new shower block and some other community work which is something i'd still like doing now you know, same thing when we were in thailand on alexander we rebuilt a school that's really cool uh, as a thing for the local village so no one actually no individual benefited it was for the community so that's that's really important to me that you know and you know i still get the odd email from thailand now from when we did alexander and i'm not sure when we did alexander some no way Oh, that's really cool. So we, um, yeah, so that's really important. Same as Morocco. I like going back into the villages that we shot in before, saying hello to people. Because there's always someone that someone that knows you. And I've just recently shot out in Abu Dhabi. And um, I'm still meeting people out there from when I shot in Dubai on Syriana. I was going to ask, you seem to be, it's not quite a film question, but you're one of the best people to ask, I guess. You've, you've been working in Abu Dhabi and well, the UAE generally, I guess, and also Namibia and places like that, Morocco for so long now. You've been there during the build-up, the huge, particularly UAE. Have they changed massively in that time in maybe attitudes and, and I guess the film industry as well, but just in a wider sense, how's it been to see these countries change over a 20-year period? It's an interesting perspective. Yeah, I mean, certainly, um, certainly with Dubai, you know, I was there 14 years ago on Syriana. 
um, actually maybe nearly 15 years. And yeah, that's a country that's really evolved. Um, you know, when we got there, there was a lot more desert than there is now. Mm. So, you know, and Dubai practically touches Abu Dhabi now, where it didn't used to, there used to be a, it was really a salt road. Yeah. Um, not a tarmac road, but running between the two of them. So. That's really cool. You mentioned earlier about moving on to your first big international jobs with Spy Game. While those international shows would ultimately become a bit of a home ground for you, was there anything that you were nervous about when you were first taking your steps into the international sphere like that? Because it's, it's quite a daunting task in many ways. You know, I don't think there was. I just remember I, when I, the first job, yeah, one of the first big jobs I did as well was called um, People Parent Trap. That was another quite a big one. Iconic. And I remember standing, standing at Bearwood College in Wokingham, um, it was absolutely chucking it down. Um, on those real wet days when the rain was really wet as well, you couldn't get dry. And and, and I, uh, I thought to myself, there's got to be something better. And a few days later, literally, I got the phone call about a much bigger film. So, and it was, yeah, it was, it was a, my first Disney film. So, oh, I see. And I was going to mention when you go out to these countries, particularly, I guess in my head, when you go out to somewhere like Namibia, is it as difficult to start from nothing as it sounds? It seems like such a, a mad process to basically be like, we're going to turn up in this desert and then within a few months, you're going to have hundreds of people running around in costumes and that. Is it as crazy as it sounds in my head? Um, yeah, it can be. I mean, Mad Max was, um, Mad Max was, was a difficult start, you know, out in Namibia for everybody because we... We didn't really have a, a script, so it's really hard to break down what you really wanted to do. What I was lucky, we had Colin Gibson, um, now obviously Oscar-winning designer. He um, he had a very clear vision of, of what they wanted. Um, most of the locations were already pre-found from when they were there before because it wasn't second time in Namibia. Mm. So we, we, had, we had a location list, but obviously what we were doing on these locations were weren't really set in stone. We had to sort of break down the, the storyboards to see where it was. Because it was very heavily storyboarded, wasn't it, to my knowledge? The, yeah, the whole film was, we didn't have a script. It was literally all, yeah, everything was storyboarded. I mean, we only got a script about four months in, something like that. Wow. Um, and also, when they were there before, um, it was a very different place. When, when we got back, back this time, and the whole place was declared as a national park. So then you couldn't quite do what you wanted, you know, quite as easy. You know, we had environmental issues going on with 200 cars driving through a, a desert, which seems easy, but it's not. You know, it's, we removed, I think, something on, on one of the planes that we did um, just on the outskirts of Swakamund. We, we, removed somewhere in the region of 50,000 lithop plants, which are tiny little plants that you can't even see. They look like a stone. But we had a team of people lifting these plants and putting them into a little nursery to be looked after for the next six months. Oh, wow. So then they looked after them. They, didn't, they weren't binning them. They were looking after them and they put them back. That's incredible. Yeah, no, we looked after them. We had our own little nursery. The little man goes in and waters them every day. I hope you're enjoying Red Carpet Rookies. If you'd like to support the show, you can get a two-month free trial of Skillshare, the Netflix of online courses, with the link in the podcast show notes. 
You can learn from topics including filmmaking, Photoshop, music production, and hundreds more. If you fancy yourself as a scriptwriter, you could even check out my beginner's course for professional screenwriting software, Final Draft. With something like Mad Max, obviously it's meant to look incredibly chaotic on the screen. What was it like on the production? Did it have the same feel or was it actually really ordered and well run? Um, no, it was actually, it was very, very well organised. I mean, we, you know, our our main playground, which it, it stretched over about a 20 kilometre by five or maybe 10 kilometres area. Because if you've got 200 vehicles or 100 vehicles, even, obviously doing what they were doing, you soon run out of real estate. So every night we had a, a team of um team of people all with vehicles with drag nets that would then go into the area that not that night that we'd been filming on and then get rid of all the tire marks because obviously it was all meant to be nice and new crisp desert so then the following day we'd move to another area to let that recover for another day yeah the wind out there is quite good wind's your friend out there mm. and uh, one of george miller's best uh, sayings was dust is our friend because obviously you saw the amount of dust. That was all real dust, most of it. Yeah. Most people think that gallivanting around the world on blockbusters is the dream, but it can be a tough life as well. For any juniors listening, or anyone, in fact, what advice would you give to them about the potential difficulties of the lifestyle? Yeah, I've been doing it a long time going abroad. Um, yeah, it's tough. Fortunately, I'm very lucky. My, my family are very understanding. Um, and I've been to some lovely countries that you know, my family have also come out to to visit that they probably would have never gone as a holiday de- destination. So the main thing is enjoy the enjoy what you do. That's the main thing for the, anyone coming up. You know, it's not suited to everybody working abroad. You know, it, for me, it works because I I'm quite lucky that I do a job and I can have two three months off afterwards. So that's my time mm. out with the family. Say they get to come out. Not to all the countries, because some of the countries we actually say, you know, let's let's not come to this country or I don't think it suits you. They like swimming pools and beaches and things like that. So I don't go to all the nice places all the time. Yeah, you need to choose some different shows then. So Namibia, Morocco, you know, <laughs> out in the dust. Dust is your friend. Yeah. And they liked Namibia and they both like they all like Morocco. On the other side of that, I imagine you must have had a few magic moments over the years with all this travel, sort of sitting back and going, wow, this is an incredible moment on these huge sets or what or amazing landscapes. Do you have any that maybe come to mind? Um, I, yeah, I mean, South, South Korea was, that was an eye-opener for us all, you know, to make it work. Um, more recently, on Fast and Furious, number nine, out in Georgia, you know, never been shot before on that scale. You know, been lots of little commercials and things like that. I mean, that was what we did, and you'll see in the film when it comes out, you know, we filmed in the equivalent of their Regent Street, mm. um, which we shot for three weeks. You know, uh, and it was, I think we had somewhere in the region of, you know, about 1,200 to 1,500 um, location contracts that were done just on that one one road. So... It, it was a, it's a task, and the Georgian location team out there, I never thought we'd pull it off. Yeah, some of those ones that you go, okay, this would be interesting. And we did. You know, we had great support from the government, great support from the police and you know, the local municipality, and the people. We wouldn't have been able to do it without the people. 
Speaking of films like that, Fast and Furious, and obviously a lot of your work has been on big action blockbusters. When the stakes are so high, there can be a bit of carnage along the way. Do you remember ever a serious issue that you guys really had to step in and deal with, maybe with an authority or a problem on the set? Yeah, we, I mean, there's, there's always something. I mean, you know, I mean, change is the biggest problem we have. If we have a, you know, a major change, uh, that's, you know, some people can't really deal with that. So it's about how you approach that. You know, just recently, you know, we were out in Abu Dhabi with, with, with Michael Bay. Now, I've never worked with Michael before. Um, he's a great director. I've seen lots of his work. But, you know, I've heard horror stories about him changing things on the day. So it comes with experience. For me, what I did with Michael, I just made sure the permission wasn't only for this road, it was for two or three roads behind and other areas. And we spoke to everybody. So when we did have little changes, it didn't really affect us. It does come from experience, I think. I'm sure. On movies like Six Underground, which is the one you're talking about there in Abu Dhabi with Michael Bay, obviously giants like Netflix are stepping into the ring now who are somewhat tech backed in the way they approach things do you notice there's maybe a different in management style from the the top of the tree from somewhere like that as opposed to the old quote-unquote studio system a little bit no, i think it's much of a muchness i think it, it does stem from who the producers are um who, who've been employed to obviously make the film so it doesn't i don't think at the moment it's affecting any of us you know that we have to move forward now with who's doing what you know we've got our major studios in the uk are all well we've got netflix disney uh taking over two of our major studios shepherdson and pinewood so you know and amazon are now around making big stuff too so i think we have to start looking forwards about embracing stuff like that so they're going to be big employers definitely something i would like to ask is that you had an interesting situation because you worked on one of the original mummies, the Brendan Fraser ones, and also the recent Tom Cruise version. One of the threads I've been noticing through these interviews is that there has been very noticeable large changes in the way these large studios have been run. Have you noticed this change or not? Uh, yeah, I suppose so. I mean, obviously, the mummy returns um, for me. Yeah, it was it was a a great film to work on. I mean, I, I only really looked after um, the pyramid building Pinewood and a little bit of Black Park. So for me, I wasn't shooting on location. Obviously, I knew the location team really well. Um, the second mummy, which we shot in Namibia, um, which was good for me, uh, that was a Tom Cruise film. And so, so Tom Cruise films are very different. You know, they're his films. So you get everything that comes with with the TC world as well, which I actually don't mind because I, I know where we are and I know what's what's needed and the way to do it. Uh, you know, having done um, work with him in Morocco and then it's in Namibia, I think it was, um, for me, it was a bit easier because I know what's expected. Is it true that he wants to meet everyone on set and say hello? Yeah, he does. And, yeah, he, you know, it's not only people on set, it's, it's location owners, it's when he wow. goes into these airports and stuff like that. He's, yeah, he's... I really enjoyed working with him and his team. Uh, thank you very much for that insight, Simon. We're going to talk about the future of the industry in a minute after this quick break. Obviously, with the world in COVID mania at the moment, Jurassic World 3 has been well publicized to be one of the first large-scale productions to go back. 
how has it been for you guys on set, particularly in the location department, where I would argue that you're the ones doing a lot of the COVID practice? Yeah, we're, we're into our ninth or tenth week back of um, shooting now. So, you know, we, when I first, when we first literally got shut down for COVID, um, you know, I was part of a COVID team from the very next week saying, right, how do we get people back safely, you know, with no guidelines and everything. And when we, we first came back, you know, we, we had, and we still have, we have our two COVID temperature testing tents. We've had a drive-through testing centre, a bit like the NHS ones we've got. Um, so we, 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 a lot of work's gone into this with a lot of teams, but my biggest issue, you know, it's great having these, all these talks around tables and on Zoom calls and everything, but when we first came back to work, so the whole world was shut down. So including all the supply mm. where we need to get all the cabins, where we need to get signage made, where our marquees come from, where our generators, where our aircon, our heating all comes from, they're all closed down. So, you know, to convince these companies to come out of COVID and come back to work was was quite quite a challenge, really. Um, a bit more than I think a lot of people really thought within our industry. You know, we're, we're still finding it now, even nine, ten weeks into it. But, you know, I had to ring a company the other day that are still working from home. You know, we forget, you know, the real world is still dealing with this pandemic. And I, I, I think that what Universal and, and Jurassic have done is proved that we can do it safely. You know, we, we've learned a lot of lessons on the way and there's some of the things we would have changed. And obviously, guidelines are... So it's workable. It's definitely workable. You know, we, you know we've, I've just seen a, a truck just turn up now with another 50,000 masks. You know, we're going through them. Um, you know, we did put a big order in for rubber gloves and the guidelines changed for that as well. So fortunately, we managed to not commit to the, the same. But, you know, it changes every day. And we're just trying to keep people safe. Yeah, yeah we've all got families. Yeah, no, it's good. You know, I think what Universal have done, you know, to convince the actors to come back. You know, without the actors, you know, we, we couldn't have done anything. You know, they're the ones that have signed in. They're obviously without masks every day, along with a, a very select few that like the director and people like that that are not wearing masks on the set. You know, so the rest of us all have to do our bit. You know, without them, we can't do anything. That's brilliant to hear and definitely a positive for the future. Speaking of changes, COVID is obviously a huge change for us all. I like to ask guests if they could change one thing about the industry, is there something they would like to change? I do think, as we, we touched on earlier, I think anyone that's coming into the industry has just got to bide your time. You know, look, don't go up too early. If, you, if you're asked to, you know, step up after one job, you know, if you're a location assistant and you suddenly they want you to be an assistant location manager. I, I mean, I've only met a couple of really exceptional assistants that, that one of them has been with me some time now that you know. Um, that I that actually gets the whole the whole of what we do. I think it's very easy for our industry as well to promote people that are not quite ready. And I, you know, and this is where the teams I think do get bigger and bigger because you need more people. I think with a bit more, you know, a bit more time on the floor, 
you, to learn your craft, I think it's a much better way because you, you'll become a better assistant or a better location manager, unit manager, the more time you spend on the floor. Given the tasks involved and the number of jobs available for location marshals, I would argue that that is a great place of entry point for juniors who might not necessarily be able to enter other apartments with a higher barrier to entry. Would you agree on that? Yeah, I do. And I, I think the location marshal thing is a, is, a, is, a, is a good way to get into the industry and learn it. I mean, we, we've just had, I think, 14 location marshals here working at Pinewood, just helping out around the studio with lock-offs um, up on the North Lot and around the 007 stage. Um, our, our biggest issue, and what I've always tried to do, is I don't leave anyone on the same post for, you know, a whole day. I like moving them around because you can get very bored just standing next to some riggers that are making a noise, asking them to be quiet for the whole day. Certainly. It's very easy when we get some of the marshals as well to, you know, maybe out of 14, there was probably, say, let's say there was 12 that were, really good and two that weren't so great you know for the marshals coming in that's your time to shine you know when we have the next lot of marshals you'll be up the top of the list and if i look over my shoulder just there there's a list of marshals there that we're due to get in, in a few weeks and some have got crosses beside their names i'm duly i'm sure but it's not me that has to deal with them it's the floor team that deal with the, sure. the marshals every day how would you say that I, mean, I know that you're saying that you're not necessarily too connected to it but Obviously, I've done that job a few years ago, and I would have said one of the hard things for me is working out how to kind of get ahead of the pack in, in the sense that some of the jobs you are doing aren't necessarily the easiest to prove your whatever. Is there a way that someone would be noticed by you, maybe? You know what impresses me, and I've, I've seen it not only in our industry, um, I was walking down a corridor in a very, very swanky hotel in, where was we? in Bangkok, I believe, and um, and there was uh, a member of staff. I was with the Mac general manager. Um, he was a nice guy. And I was walking behind and just about probably 40 foot in front of us on the corridor, there was another member of staff. And there was a tissue on the floor. That member of staff picked up the tissue, you know, if, and he didn't know we were there. And for me, somebody that goes that whole hog that actually – you know, you see them picking up rubbish and stuff like that. That's what we do. You, you'll often see me pick up rubbish, and I'm sure you've seen me pick up bags of rubbish too, Mike, when we were last work together. Um, you have to do everything. And, and people like that, they're the people that stand out for me. Finally, what is something that keeps you positive about the future of the film and TV industries? Well, that's a difficult question. Um, I actually do enjoy seeing the younger members of the team coming up. You know, I've nearly had my time. It won't be long now before, you know, I hang my cones up, I don't suppose, and not do it anymore. Um, yeah, I, I look at my current assistant, Mitch, who's, you know, who's got a long future in front of him, and I can just see he's going to be one of the, the greatest, you know. And I, I think there's some of the guys that I've worked with in the past that have all got good careers now, and I'd like to think I've had a bit of help along the way. But I, I do think, I think we are moving in the right direction with our, our staffing levels and the care that's shown. Because you do have to care. You have to care about what you do. It should never be about the money. That's fantastic to hear. And we'll be back with our little final questionnaire after the break. 
Welcome back to Red Carpet Rookies. We're here with Simon Crook about to do my questionnaire that I ask all my guests based on the James Lipton in the Actors Studio questionnaire. It's quick fire, Simon, so just say whatever comes into your head. And the first question is, what is the best advice you've ever been given? If you're on time, you're late. Number two, do you have a favourite film? Um, Smokey and the Bandit. Number three, what gives you a reason to get up in the morning for an early call time? And yours are earlier than most. I enjoy what I do, really. Number four, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? And secondary, or if there is one, and secondary question, which job in the industry would you like to do if you weren't doing yours? Like the first one, um, I'd like to be involved with doing one of the big events, like the Olympics or something like that, mm. start to finish. Um, just because I find it quite interesting and a bit of a challenge. Um, secondly, I don't know what else I'd like to do within the industry that I work in now. That's probably a good place to be then. Yeah. I mean, the industry found me, so I didn't find it. Number five, what general profession would you not like to do? Oh, within the film industry, catering, without a doubt. That's a tough one. Number six, if you could work with one person, living or dead, who would it be? I don't know. I think it goes back to my favourite film. I'd like to. I'd like to work with Burt Reynolds, just because I think his presence. You know, he was a, a world leading artist in his heyday. Number seven. What is a book that everyone should read? I like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Very cool. You know, it's a great film, but it's an incredible book. And finally, if you won an Oscar, who would you thank? Oh, without a doubt, my family um, and everyone I've worked with in the past. You know, because it is always a team event stuff like that. Incredible. Thank you so much to Simon Crook for joining me today. Fantastic advice and industry inside info from the Mr. International of the film business. Thank you for listening and we'll see you again next time. Thank you again for listening to another episode of Red Carpet Rookies. To keep updated, you can follow Red Carpet Rookies on Instagram and Facebook, RC Rookies Pod on Twitter or contact us at redcarpetrookies at gmail.com. And please do subscribe or drop us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast Store, on your iPhone or online if you're an Android user. Have a great day and we'll see you next time.